Welcome to the Mustang UMC podcast recorded each Sunday morning during our 8.30 and 10.50 a.m. services. We invite you to join us in praise and worship during that time, and our hope is that this podcast serves as an encouragement for you and for your family in your daily life. can receive the Spirit as we hear the Word of God read. And so today our scripture comes from Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 through 26. Let's give our attention to the reading of God's Holy Word. So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other. So you are not free to carry out your good intentions. But when you are directed by the Spirit, you are not under the obligation of the law of Moses. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outburst of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed their passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. Let us not become conceited or provoke one another or be jealous of one another. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. You all may be seated. Let us pray. And so, Lord, we do pray for your spirit to lead us now. Lord, anything that is distracting us, anything that is keeping our mind off of you, Lord, God, can we just center in on your spirit, your love, and your goodness for us right now? It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I did it my way. Uh, Frank Sinatra may have sung it first, but all of us have joined in on that chorus, right? We have all joined in and said, well, I don't care if I was wrong, at least I did it my way. We are people who are consumed with getting our will our way. We do not like being told what to do. I did it my way is an anthem of people today. But it is not the anthem of Jesus. And it is not the anthem of Jesus' followers. But we live in a world in which we ask this question all of the time, especially about ourselves, who's the boss? Now, I do know who the boss is. I'm pretty sure it's this guy right here. All right? <laughs> now, the funny thing is, is I'm now at this age in which I know there are people who don't get that. They're like, I have no idea who that guy is. All right? Who is this guy? All right? Google, who's the boss? All right? Who's the boss? Who's in charge of my life? Well, again, we don't like being told what to do. I did it my way. It's my way or the highway. I'm the boss. But here's the thing. is the person that we follow or we say we follow as Christians was not the boss. In fact, these are the words of Jesus 
right before he gave himself for us. He said, my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Jesus, the Lord of all, said, not my way, not my will, God, the Father, but yours. And so there is this tension that we have between our will, our way, and are we really going to be people who claim that Jesus is our Lord and Savior, that we claim to worship God, and that we truly can follow him? Are we so consumed with our way, or are we willing to walk the way of Jesus? And so really there are three possible paths that we can go down in our lives as we try to figure out who is the boss and what do I do. Now the first possible path is to follow your heart. Now every once in a while I'll hear people give this advice, just follow your heart. Your heart will tell you what to, to do. Um, and, and there's a part of me that likes that, that, that there's this sort of idea. But, but for me as a preacher, follow your heart is terrible advice because it makes me think of this Old Testament passage in Jeremiah that says this, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? We tell people, just follow your heart, do what you want to do, do what, you, do what feels right. But here's the thing is that your heart lies to you. I know Vince Gill and Reba McIntyre says your heart won't lie, but they're wrong. (laughs) Google Vince Gill while you're at it. And so here we have this idea that, oh, just let your heart lead you. No, please don't. This is what what Paul really refers to as the sinful nature. It's it's getting what our heart wants. And, and, And ultimately, it leads us into a path of destruction. You, you heard me read that list in the, the middle of the, of the sermon about all these negative things. Let me read it to you again, but this time from the message translations. It is obvious what kind of life develops out of trying to get your own way all the time. Repetitive, loveless, cheap sex, a stinking accumulation of mental and emotional garbage, frenzied and joyless grabs for happiness, trinket gods, magic show religion, paranoid loneliness, cutthroat competition, all-consuming yet never satisfied once, a brutal temper, an impotence to love or be loved, divided homes and divided lives, small-minded and lopsided pursuits, the vicious habit of depersonalizing everyone into a rival, uncontrolled and uncontrollable addictions, ugly parodies of community. I could go on and on. And what we've seen is that our world around us and sometimes even the world within us resembles these remarks. Is that we, we see a world of what happens when everybody tries to do it their way is there is always these clashes And selfishness has infected and affected everything. And it leads, it produces lives of chaos and pain. That if you choose to do things your way and only your way, not only will you go down in a ball of flames, but you'll bring other people along with you. The destruction that my way has caused over the years and in relationships is devastating and will continue to be so. 
Paul says in Galatians chapter 6 in the very next chapter, For the one who sows to his own flesh will from that flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal lives. And so what happens is, is that we have a way of the heart is that we, we, we are following our evil desires, we are following just getting what we want, and it does not get us what we ultimately need or what we truly want. And it is not just non-Christians, but here Paul is writing to people who know Christ, who have the Holy Spirit, and he said these things are always in conflict with one another. Is that you have both good desires, but you also have a desire to, to follow your heart. And just because you've committed to Jesus does not mean that you're immune from this. In fact, I believe that one of the most dangerous people out there is the one who assumes that just because they said yes to following Jesus 20 years ago, that they're automatically following him today. Just because you said yes to Jesus as your Lord and Savior a long time ago does not mean that you are following his will. You can say yes, and this conflict will still remain. We have to make the decision every day, every hour, Lord, I want to follow your way today. Lord, your will, your way. But that's hard for us because we base so many things on our fleshly desires or just following our heart. Have you ever said something and you regretted it later? Of course you have. Have you ever, have you ever gotten angry and then not wanted to be angry? It just happened? Of course you have. This is part of what happens when we follow our evil desires is that these things just sort of spring up and they come out of us, all right? And we are not good at self-control. And I know this because you all ate donuts this morning in church. You knew you probably shouldn't have. Now, some of you, that was your breakfast plan, all right? But others of you was like, hey, Jesus loves me and it's in a donut form today. You know, I, I don't fast very often. There's this Christian discipline of fasting in which we, we, we choose not to eat for a period of time, and sometimes it's a specific thing, and sometimes it's for a, a, a period of time. But what I've realized is that whenever I fasted, how, how easy it is for me to just give in to my desires. And, and then that I realized that it's like, ooh, I just want a drink of this, and now I can't have it. It's how easy it is just for me to get or take what I want, just food-wise, it's so easy. All right. I think about how easy it is to, to just pick up my phone and, and, and look at the worst place on earth. I mean, it's Facebook, but it's the worst place on earth, right? Like how we just scroll. Just we don't even realize what we're doing. And we went to check one thing, and 35 minutes later, we've wasted 35 minutes, right? That we don't even realize what we're doing, but we follow a path of destruction, this fleshly direction. And so what happens is if you follow your heart, if you just do what you want, it's going to end in a path of destruction. And so this is a path that Paul warns us against. But there's another path that he warns us again that sometimes you and I will follow. And I say that some of us are rule followers, is that we choose to, we can follow the rules. Now, as, uh, as we were reading the scripture, and you probably missed it because I missed it the first time as well, and I was thinking, this is really weird, but it says these, but when you are directed by the Spirit... You are not under the obligation of the law of Moses. Why did Paul include this in this neat little passage about the fruit of the Spirit? He doesn't talk about this in the rest of those verses. 
What does it mean to be, not be under the obligation of the law of Moses? Now, Paul was a Jewish Pharisee before he became a follower of Jesus, which meant he spent his entire life learning the rules and then following them perfectly. And so to be a Jewish Pharisee meant that basically the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, that's called the Torah, the books of the law. We have the Ten Commandments that you're supposed to follow, but there's a whole lot of rules in there. All right? It even tells you what insects you can eat and which insects you can't eat, just in case you were wondering that's in there. All right? But they had that. And, and, and what they would do is, especially these religious leaders who thought, how am I going to follow God? I'm going to obey all the rules. I've got to even set up measures so that I can protect myself in case I accidentally break a rule. That's why we have the kosher food laws. Because there's in there, it says something to the extent of that you should not cook a, a goat in its mother's milk. And so this, they set up a rule around that you can't eat, that you can't cook dairy and, and have meat. These need to be separate so that you don't break this one law. This is the level of rule following that happens, all right? And so here, this is Paul, and this is who he's talking to, are Christians who were consumed with, do I still have to follow all the rules? Now, that was a long time ago, but here's the, the truth, is that we still practice this in the church. Uh, there's an author by the name of Dallas Willard. Dallard is just, Dallas is just filled with wisdom. And he talked about in the church about how we really often proclaim the gospel of sin management, which is basically something like this. I don't drink or smoke or do drugs or go with girls who do, right? That we have a list of do's and don'ts and that those are the rules that we try to follow. And that and so for some reason for us in the church, this is what we've highlighted. Do these things, don't do these things, all right? And that this rule that we follow and these rules that we follow, they become what make a good Christian. Now, the weird thing is, is that those rules change for different people, all right? Now, I am a natural rule follower. Um, and so one of my rules that I will follow is that I do not park in a handicapped spot. Heather has wondered about me sometimes. She said, Aaron, there's nobody here. There's nobody coming. Just park there. She's a rule breaker, all right? <laughs> just, it's okay. You're just running in. Nobody's going to care. I'm like, no, I don't have a sticker. You know, so I, you know, I feel pretty good about myself, right? I'm a rule follower. But then I, she has ridden in the car with me for like 19 years. I have never intentionally fully stopped at a stop sign. <laughs> I roll through every stop sign. There's no cops in here, right? Okay. I roll through every stop sign I've ever been at. She's like, Aaron, I don't get it. You don't park in a handicapped spot, but you'll break this law. And I, 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 my thought is, Heather, I've, I've, I've been driving for a long time. I have rolled through thousands of stop signs and I haven't gotten pulled over. I feel the odds are in my favor. Now she's going to say, Aaron, you're due. All right. And she's probably right. All right. But this is what we do. And it's not just with the rules of the road, but we decide, oh, good Christians do this because I do this. And these are the rules I follow. But those other rules, are those, no, no, those, I don't, I don't, I'm, I'm, I, those aren't as good. And these people who are over here are like, oh, these, these rules? Those are silly. I follow these rules. You see, what happens is, is when we have the gospel of sin management, we choose which rules we're going to follow, and we look down on people who don't follow the same rules. 
And I could stand up here and I could say different rules that we have. And again, some of these things are good to do or their behaviors are, are better choices, but we're going to look down on people who don't do it. If I came up here and I said, well, good Christians don't gamble, there's some of you who are like, ooh, what did he say? Other people are like, it's not a big deal. Some of you are cheering. Some of you are booing this idea. Good Christians don't cuss. Good Christians don't drink. Good Christians don't X, Y, Z, whatever it is. We can become so consumed with the rules. And what happens is, is that when we become so focused on following the rules that we do not see the ruler of all. And we keep trying to do right that we miss out on Jesus. Who has ways in which we are, but we become so focused on our rules. That we miss out on the ruler of all. And this is not the way that God would have us to live. So we could follow our heart. We could follow the rules. Or we could follow the spirit. I mean, this is what our passage says. So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. Can we really let the Holy Spirit guide our lives? For the record, Heather wants you to know that she does not park in handicapped parking. <laughs> All right? Do we let our Holy Spirit guide our lives? How do we know that? Well, here we have this beautiful passage about the fruit of the Spirit. Now, it's interesting because it does say fruit singular of Spirit, and then it lists these things. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So what does it mean... All right, when it's singular. Now, I had a professor by the name of, of Dr. Bauer, and Dr. Bauer was one of those people, um, like Arden, who was with us a few weeks ago, who seems to have the New Testament memorized. He's like, you know, in 1 Corinthians 5, when it says, and I'm like, no, I don't know. I don't know what it's like there. All right, um, that's him. He's just, you know, he's just super, super smart. And he knows the original language, and, and they don't have punctuation in the original language like we do. Um, and so he says that probably the best way to understand the fruit of the Spirit and why it's singular, is it probably best understood grammatically this way. And I know some of you, you've lost, I've lost you because I said grammatically, but stay with me. The fruit of the Spirit is love, colon. The fruit of the Spirit is love. That's the fruit of the Spirit. And what does love look like? It looks like joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And so I think it's really important for us to, to quickly look at what do these words mean and how do we understand them, all right? And so for love, what we generally think it means is a strong feeling of desire. This is really weird how we've used the word love, right? Because it's like, I love watching Oklahoma State beat Texas, I love vanilla ice cream, and I love Heather. And all three of those things are true, but they don't mean the same thing, Right? Like, we just throw love, that word out there, and most of the time when we say that people are in love, it means that there's a strong feeling of desire. But the genuine understanding of love is not a strong feeling of desire, but it's really this idea of self-giving goodness. Are you willing to sacrifice? Are you willing to give of yourself? Do you will the good of another person? That's love, not a feeling. But it's this, it's this way of being towards another person. It's this way of being towards the world. It's this way of being towards Jesus. Do you really love people? The fruit of the Spirit is love. It's about giving yourself. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy. Now, when we think about joy, I think we often think of this idea of sort of extreme happiness. 
right? So your team wins and you're extremely happy. But that is, is not joy. Um, Paul says to rejoice in all circumstances. How are you going to rejoice in certain circumstances? Because joy is not just extreme happiness. There's a deeper sense of joy. And I think what it genuinely means is that joy is gladness with a sense of trust and hope. It's a sense of knowing deep and down that God is God and that God is good and that we can trust him. And even when we're going through a bad thing, it's not a final thing because God is still working. There's hope in the midst of that. So it's not this extreme happiness. It's not we just scored a touchdown. It's this knowledge. How do we have joy? James says, consider it pure joy when you have trials of many kinds. I know very, very few people who are like, yes, this terrible thing is wonderful. But for people who have the fruit of the spirit of joy, they have an ability to have a sense of gladness, not of what happened, but the, the fact that in this, they have a sense of gladness and serenity and peace with God to trust him and to hope for him. Love, joy, peace. When I got up this morning, there was peace in my house. My children were asleep. It was peaceful. We often think about peace being this absence of conflict. Oh, it's quiet. Nobody's arguing right now. Peace. But is Peace means more than that, right? It's not about an absence of conflict. What it genuinely means, all right, is the presence of wholeness. Am I whole with God? Am I whole with myself? Am I whole with my community? Am I at a sense of truly believing and living in a sense of communion with God? It's not just about an absence of conflict. It's about the presence of unity and about God's goodness in the midst of our lives. Is this the world that we live? Can I be a person who is at peace, not about what's happening around me, but about what's happening inside of me because God is with me fully? Holy God, holy years. Love, joy, peace, patience. Now, I know some of you had been waiting impatiently for this one. What's he going to say? All right, one of the, this is one of those things that, that typically we don't really feel that we're, we're very good at. Now, typically, patience, our understanding of this is that we endure inconveniences, all right? So um, we, we, we go to a place, and we had to wait in line longer than we thought we should have, and like, oh, well, I didn't yell too much at the person. I endured the inconvenience. Is that all that patience is? No, I think there's more. I think, I think patience is really about putting other people before yourselves. That to be patient means you recognize the humanity and the, the goodness of the person in front of you, even, it, even when you don't feel it or see it. You recognize that there's a person there. Now, let me give you an example of how I've seen this happen. Um, yesterday, uh, we, went, we went out to, to lunch. And while we were at lunch, I don't know if you've noticed this, but our service industry seemed to be struggling a little bit. Um, you go to a place and you wait longer seems like people are overwhelmed. It just isn't the, the pleasant experience always that we were used to, right? And so we were, we were there, and, and we sat down. Um, we were at a Mexican place. So we got our chips, our queso, our salsa. That was good. But then we waited. 
you know, and, and started waiting for a while. And, and, and you all have probably done this thing, like try to make eye contact with every person who walks by. Like, which one of it, you know, which one of it is you? So it took a while to get our drinks. And, and then it felt like we were quite the inconvenience that we stopped by the restaurant that day with our server. Um, I'm, I'm sure you've probably been there as well. And so it, um, it just, it wasn't the best experience. And so we came down to like tip time. Now, I, I used to be a server, so I'm, I'd like to make sure I take care of people. And, and Heather worked at restaurants as well. So we like, to, we like to be people who tip. We think that's really important. And she made the comment, she said, Aaron, this is one of those times in which I'd feel like, I don't really know if he deserved a a tip. But she said, I I don't know what his day was like today. I don't know what he walked into. I don't know if he was called in on a Saturday when he had other plans. I don't know what his life is like here. Uh, That's putting others before yourselves. That's embodying patience in the world. It's seeing a person, not just as somebody to serve you, but as a person. Can we realize we're dealing with people and respect people and put others before yourselves? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. Kindness. Now, I think sometimes when we think of kindness, we think of random acts of kindness, right? We open the door for somebody and we said, oh, I did my good deed for the day. Like one is all you're supposed to do, apparently. You know, and then you do another something and you're like, ooh, I made up for yesterday's mistake. As if God's up there being like random act of kindness, check. Ooh, he did two things. Good for him, all right? He's caught up for the week. No. So often we think about kindness as sort of this idea of appeasing other people. All right, that we're just going to kind of make nice and we're just going to kind of appease people and we're just, we're going to be generally pleasant. Jesus came to die, so you'd be generally pleasant. No, of course not. What does kindness really mean? To me, I think it genuinely means giving grace and truth. About being fully present with people, giving them grace, but also speaking the truth. To be kind is, is if, if I have something on my shirt, it's telling me, right? To be, to be kind means speaking the truth in love, not, under, not, not claiming to understand everything, but to bring forth these things. To be humble and kind, to speak grace and truth, these things go hand in hand. And to do so in a loving and gentle way. This is kindness. It's not just appeasing somebody or opening the door. It's being the kind of person who sees somebody and gives them grace and truth. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. Now here's what I think we think whenever we say goodness. Being less bad than somebody else. You know what? I'm a good person. And what you mean by that is I looked at that person... And I'm better than them. All right? And the good thing is we can look around. It doesn't take us too long, especially on social media. And we can find somebody we're better than. And so we say, well, I'm a good person because I haven't done this. And I've heard people say, well, I'm a good person. It's not like I've killed anybody. Like, that's the standard. All right? That's it. Goodness. Gracious. Right? Being less bad than other people. Jesus died, so you're not the worst. No. God can make us good. Because I think goodness genuinely means being God's grace for other people. God is good, and he's the one who makes us good. And so when we live out and when we're good with other people, it's because God is helping us to be good. It's because God is shaping us and forming us. He's the one that's calling us to goodness in our lives. This is what goodness genuinely means, being God's grace for others, being the presence of God right where people are. 
Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. Now I think faithfulness, when we generally think of faithfulness, we think about being by somebody's side. We think about faithfulness kind of like we think about a, a really good dog, right? Who's always there. You know, just nice and calm. We don't have one of those. Our dog is not nice and calm. All right? And, and now he'll be there, all right? If you have a treat, if you have a bone, if you're going to play with him, he's right there, right? But this is what we almost think of faithfulness like a dog. All right, I'm being faithful. I'm dog-like. That's probably not the best way to think about things. All right, because I think there's more to faithfulness. Because to me, faith is always a risk. It's not just being by somebody's side, though there's an important part of that. But I think faith is really vulnerability in action. For somebody to be faithful in my life and in our life, it means that they're willing to take a risk with me. It means that they're willing to step into the wilderness. It's this vulnerability. It's this exposure to meaningful risk that shows true faithfulness. Faithfulness is not just being there when it's easy. Faithfulness is being there when it's hard. When other people are abandoning, you're seeing it through thick and thin. That's faithfulness. Not just by your side when you come home at the end of the day. Faithfulness is walking through difficult things. Who are the, am I the kind of person who when the going gets tough, I'm walking with the people in the storm? Am I risking? Am I being vulnerable in action? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness. Now, I think when we think about gentleness, we often think about just acting with softness. Maybe they speak softly. They have a gentle voice, we'll say. But gentleness is more than just softness. I think about it as this sort of strong tenderness, uh, truly embodying the biblical idea of meekness. And the image I get with, with sort of gentleness is holding a, a, a newborn baby. Um, I learned this early when, when we had Micah, that, that you have to hold his head strong. Or else his neck will just flop all the way around, all right? So you got to be strong. But you got to be tender. You can't, like, grip the neck. That's not good. All right? So am I... So, so this gentleness is, again, this strong tenderness. Can I, can I hold up people? Can I, can I be gentle in my conversations? Can I be strong and firm, but also tender in the way that I interact with other people? Is that who I'm becoming? A person of gentleness. And some of you are saying, Aaron, I'm not a person of gentleness. Well, you can be. Just because you may not naturally be gentle does not mean you cannot receive that as a fruit of the Spirit. All right? And the last one is self-control. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And I know there are people who think, I'm not good at this one either. All right? Now, here's what I think it generally means. All right? Is that self-control generally means not expressing my opinion. All right? And so we think, ooh, I showed self-control today. I did not tell that person what I fully thought. That's not, is, that all, is that it? I had some things to say, but I didn't say them? No, I think there's more than that. All right? I think self-control means genuinely responding responsibly in the world. There's a time in which we should communicate things. It's not just holding your tongue. But how can I respond responsibly? It's making conscious choices that are aligned with the Spirit. Making conscious choices in which we follow the Spirit's lead. 
So self-control does sometimes means not eating that donut, but other times it means I am choosing to eat this donut because today is a feast day. It's Sunday. You're off the hook. I'm choosing this instead of it choosing me. These are the fruits of the Spirit. This is what it means to follow God. This is what it means to be like Jesus, is to be these people of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And see, the key thing is, is that the fruit of the Spirit is the produce of a faithful life, all right? It is the result of a life of following Jesus. So here's the good news for you all. If you are about to leave here and resolve to be more patient, you can't and you shouldn't and don't do it because it doesn't work like that. If you resolve to be more patient, you're just going to be more frustrated tomorrow. You're going to feel like a failure because you're not following the rules of being patient. Aaron talked about it. I even wrote it down, and now I can't do it. It's about fault. No, no. The fruit of the Spirit is a production. It's the natural outflow of a faithful life. And so we have to ask ourselves, how do we orient ourselves to become these kind of people? How do we orient ourselves towards a fruitful life? It means that we open ourselves to the Spirit's work in our lives and His guidance. And so what I want you to do this week, I do want you to do something. If you're a rule follower, you'll do it, all right? If not, you're going to do it your way anyway, so it doesn't matter what I say. I want you to ask somebody close to you, somebody who knows you well, am I more loving than I was two years ago? Am I more joyful? Do I exhibit more peace, patience, kindness, goodness? Am I more gentle than I was a couple years ago in self-control? How do I know if I'm faithfully following the Spirit? Those, the answer to those will be yes. Now, when I told my staff this question this week, they just sort of recoiled. I said, boy, I need to ask it then. So we need to ask each other, are we becoming the people? How do I know if I'm, if I'm doing this Christian thing right? Because you'll see it in those ways. That is the test. So how do I orient myself to that life? How do I become the person that is more patient than I was a year ago? All right. Now, I don't know a lot about growing things. To tell you the truth, that's not my gift at all. I was out here helping yesterday a little bit, and people know how to grow things. I don't know how to grow things. They said, just dig, and so I dug. That was about it. But I do know a little bit that I've learned because there's so many metaphors in the Bible about how do we grow, and there's this fruit metaphor. So if you want a fruit tree to grow, again, it doesn't strain to grow fruit, right? A fruit tree doesn't decide to say apples and it just sort of tries to push it out. It happens as a result of a few things. The first thing is a fruit tree will grow if it's in the right environment. Apparently, there are some trees and bushes that grow better in shade. Some grow better in sun, right? Some grow better in colder weather. Some grow better in hotter weather. It kind of depends, right? It needs the right environment to thrive. And the same thing is true for us. You and I need the right environment to thrive. That's why I think church matters. It's because we need the right environment, the right people around us in order for us to thrive. We need to commit ourselves to our small groups, our Sunday school classes, the right people to influence us because the right environment matters. We need that. I've heard people say that you are the average of the five people you spend the most time with. Now, I don't know what that says about kindergarten teachers, all right? But I want you to ask yourself, am I spending time with people who are helping me to become 
People of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Am I in the right environment to receive from one another growth? Now, another thing that a plant needs or a tree needs in order to produce fruit is it needs nourishment. It needs water. So that's why on Sunday morning when it rained that week, I will inevitably hear, oh, I just thank God for that rain this week. All right? And if it hadn't rained in a few weeks, I will inevitably hear, well, we sure need some rain, don't we? We need, trees need nourishment. We need this grace. They need this water to come and give them a chance to thrive and live. They need the right soil and the nutrients in there. So do we. We need the word of God to be implanted deep in our heart. The Bible matters here. We need to be people who are shaped and formed by God. Worship matters. All right, again, I learned a few weeks ago that if we want to be filled with the Spirit, the first thing we do is we sing songs because that enables us to be filled with the Spirit. So that's such a gift So can we be nourished with those gifts from God? Now, the third thing a tree needs is it needs light. It needs sunlight, S-U-N, light. Now, I'm a preacher, and you all know exactly what's coming, don't you? We need sunlight, S-O-N, light, in order to thrive. I mean, ultimately, that's what this scripture says here Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to the cross and crucified them there. We can't do it without Jesus. Those sinful desires can be nailed to the cross. These ways in which we're inclined to sin, and we all are inclined to sin, we all have our own ways in which we're inclined to sin, those have to be nailed. Now, here's the thing. There are some sins that we can nail once and we can walk away from. And there are other sins, there are other inclinations, there are other patterns of behavior that you and I might struggle with that we've got to nail it every day. Lord, I'm going to give this to you today. I want to do this, but I can't. I need to nail it. I'm going to nail it to the cross. I'm going to give it to you because we need the light of Jesus to shine out the darkness so that we can become the people that God has enabled us to become. You can become people of love, of joy, of peace, of patience, of kindness, of goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That can be you if you're led by the Spirit. So you have a choice. You can do things your way, and we know the path that that will go down. You can follow your rules, and you, you can follow the rules, and you know the path that that will go down. Or you can follow the Spirit, and you can know who you're going to become. So often in this life, we become fixated with what we do, But look, I've done a lot of funerals, and and, and yes, we read in the obituary that he worked at so-and-so plant for 42 years. She served in this way for 35 years. But when I do funerals, I don't talk about jobs, I talk about character. This person embodied joy. They went through hell, but they found joy. This person was patient and kind in the deepest of ways. You know, she had the ability to tell you the truth, and you received it even when it was hard. They be, we become these people. So don't commit today to being more self-controlled, to being more patient. Commit yourself to following Jesus and let the fruit bear naturally in your life. Thank you for listening to the Mustang UMC podcast. Once again, our services are at 8.30 and 10.50 a.m. every Sunday morning, and we would love to see you there. For more information about the Mustang United Methodist Church, 
please visit us at mustangumc.org or email us at office at mustangumc.org. That is office at mustangumc.org. We hope you enjoyed.